so much this morning um, for all that you've done. I thank you for worship, that it was um, just very poignant for us to stop and say, God, you're a way maker. We're just super grateful for your presence. And God, I pray for us as we continue on in our study of the book of Revelation that that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would be challenged, um, convicted, that that there would be aspects of this book that that shake us to the core, but also do what, exactly what the book says, just pour out a blessing and pour out an encouragement on us. So God, I pray for each person listening, whether they're in the room, online, or they'll catch it during the week, we pray that the message would be encouraging. I pray for myself, God, that you would anoint my words to speak clearly, to cover what I need to cover, to not cover what I don't need to cover, and in all things, just to bring you glory. So be with us as we study. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're a few weeks in now. We're, we're going to jump into the second church in the, of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 2, verse 8. That's where we're going to be. We're going to do a little bit of recap to open up to start with. I'm not going to go as extensive as I have more notes than I could cover in the amount of time I have. Somebody say amen. You always do, Pastor James. Um, so I did have a couple questions, though. So I had a few people ask questions based off of last week's sermon, and, and as I encourage you guys, if there are questions, bring them to me, because it might be beneficial for the whole congregation um, for some of those questions. So the first one was, hey, when you talked about people who experience God, or they're in the presence of God, um, were you talking about every single time we engage with God? Like, how many of you guys have ever had God like give you a vision, a dream, a communication? You read the scripture, he speaks to you. Come on, church, help me out. That should be most everybody in the room, that there are engagement with God where God speaks to us. We engage with him. We interact with him. And they said, is, is that what you were talking about? And I said, no, actually, no, that's not at all what I was talking about. They said, is that wrong, was the question. Is that what you were talking about? I said, no, what I, what I was addressing last week is when people um, express it, oh, I, I was in the presence of God, hanging out in the throne room of God, and they're just like, like hey, like Jesus and I were just kicking it. And I'm kind of like, okay, I don't see any biblical evidence where anybody is face-to-face -face with God that doesn't promote, like, some really deep, like, you know, I fell on my face like a dead man, Isaiah chapter 6, Daniel chapter 9, I think it is. Um, Moses, when he sees the backside of God's glory, he's actually hidden, and he comes down with his face glowing. You know, so there's these incidences where they experience the presence of God, but it comes, like, deep and wide. So when people talk to me and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, like I was cruising around hell and Jesus was showing me stuff, or I, I just kind of check those things. I don't, listen, I don't know if their encounter was real. I'm just saying biblically when I look at it, I don't see evidence biblically that an engagement with God, his holiness, would be just so casual. That's what I was speaking to. So they said, well, I was in this prayer thing, and, and I'm going to tell you a story of my own instead of theirs. How many of you guys have ever had a, a sozo done? Kind of a weird name, right? How many of you guys have ever had a sozo done? For, for those of you who don't know what so, sozo is, the Greek word for healing, salvation. That's all it is. It sounds weird, but it's actually quite normal and it's quite biblical. So this particular ministry, what they do is they take you through kind of a journey of prayer. And in this, I had some times where it was like, you know, they're like, do you sense God's presence with you? Like, you're talking about things that were tough. Like, for me, my mom, my mom um, had a miscarriage after I was born. So I'm telling you guys more than I think I want to tell you. Um, but, but for the sake of understanding, um, and I remember as a baby, little kid, two years, three years, four years old, I remember my mom being really sad. But the way I processed that was I did something wrong. See, we don't realize that sometimes those hindrances in our childhood make it hard for us to see God. And so I thought, I'm the problem because a kid thinks they're the problem when they, there's not a depth of understanding. Well, that was one of the things that was identified in prayer session. I said, no, for me, those are how God heals, restores, releases, strengthens us. That's not what I was speaking of. So when you have encounters with God, please keep going. Please keep encountering, reading, studying, listening. Have times of worship where you're like, wow, man, if I didn't know better, Jesus was hugging me. Those are amazing. What I'm talking about is don't be so familiar with the holiness of God that it's like kind of no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, I, I went into the throne room and we were just chatting. I think it's a little deeper than that, isn't it? I just, this, so that was the first question. Another one is very, very quick. What Bible do you use? I use this one that I wrote myself. No, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with y'all. I use New American Standard. Um, that's what I preach from. On occasion, I'll use other translations, but it's very rare. 
Uh, the reason I use New American Standard is it's a literal translation of the Bible. So it's the most accurate word for word. That doesn't mean it's the easiest reading, though. Um, by the way, everybody's going, well, is NIV okay? What about ESV? Um, what about King James? All of them are great. There are some versions that are less accurate, others that are more. Um, but the reason I use this is at one point I purchased all of my study helps in New American Standard, and I'm not going to change. <laughs> so I have money invested. But anyways, that's the version that I use because people are trying to track with me, and they're like, my Bible doesn't read the same way as your Bible does. Okay, so... The book of Revelation is a book of encouragement. In fact, it's the only book in the entire Bible, say entire Bible, listen, that has the audacity to say this, if you read it, you're blessed. Only book in the whole Bible. Now, the Bible does say, study the scriptures, they're encouraging, they'll build your life. Psalm 119 is a whole dissertation on the word of God, but the book of Revelation is the only one that says, if you read it, you'll be blessed. So you being here today, you're blessed just for being in the room. So that, I think it's pretty amazing. I think that's really cool. I told you guys the book is Christological. It means it has more examples of Christ, his titles, his nature, his ministry, in my estimation, than any other book in the Bible. But there are others that are very complimentary as well. But it definitely, like, it does this. The, the remainder, the majority of the Bible, when it speaks of Jesus, it speaks to his redeeming work. The book of Revelation covers a little bit of his redeeming work but it speaks more to his authority as coming king and Lord. It's a little bit different. So, but it, both of them are powerful. The whole, whole Bible is powerful. But that said, it's Christological in nature. Revelation just means unveiling. And it's literally the unveiling of Jesus. So as you study this, the idea is that you would get a better picture of who Jesus is. I encouraged you, read it spiritually. And the reason I said that to you is the book is weird. Somebody say weird. It's weird. I don't know. Not a lot of books in the Bible talk about bowls of wrath and, and seals and angels all over the place. There are other places, but the, this is by far the most spiritually oriented book. So when you read it, you should put on a spiritual lens, listen, and a logical one. You should do it with both. Some of it is typological. Some of it is just what it says. Now, these two chapters that we're studying right now, two and three, are the most applicable of the whole book to you and I. So when you read these, you should be thinking this. This is talking about me. Over and over, you're going to hear John say this. Let, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the letter is written to a church, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Sardis, and the others. But it says to the churches, plural, which means that it had a personal application to the respective church, but it also has an application to who? Us. So when you read this, you should be thinking, he's talking about me. Um, Christians, man, in this season, this window, they were terribly persecuted. They were tarred and lit on fire. They were beheaded. They were sawed in two. They were boiled in oil. They, they were just, like, just dispersed all over the planet. They were, they were just crucified, upright and upside down. I mean, they were just tortured. So listen, when you think of yourself, like we're going to study the persecuted church this morning, I can promise you there's a high unlikelihood that you've experienced any level of persecution compared to the first century churches. Okay, I just want to be really straight up with you. Some of you are like, suffering for Jesus. Why? Because somebody didn't like your post? No, I'm being really serious right now. Like, listen, listen, we're going to get into this in a second. But if life or death were on the line, are you still going to choose Jesus? That's the kind of choices these folks are making. They're having to make front and center very difficult. We went through like lots and lots of the discussion of Jesus' priestly authority. Instead of torturing you with all the, the reiteration of that, every single letter points back to the titles I covered last, year, last week. So when you look through the letters, you know, it, it will be stuff like he has a golden sash, a robe touching his feet. When we do the seven letters, each one of the seven letters has a title of Jesus from the first list. So I'm not going to torture you with the list again. When we get to them, I'm going to touch them backwards as well. Um, I think it's really amazing that all of this, all this messianic title, and it refers to the letters in the churches, and it's talking to you and I as well. So all the letters, they're going to have five elements to them. They're going to have a description of Christ. They're going to tell you who he is, the one who wears the sash, the one whose eyes burn like fire. They're also going to have a commendation of the church. You're doing really well. 
They're also going to have this, a rebuke of the church. You're not doing this so well. It's going to have a command. You should listen and do this thing. And then it's going to have a promise to those who overcome. The word Nike. How many of you guys have Nikes on? Who's got Nikes on? Raise your hand. Anybody got a Nike on? Wow, there's really only one Nike wearer? Hallelujah. You know, they hire, never mind. I'm kidding. But Nike is just the, the Greek word for victor. So it, it says to him who overcomes, to him who Nikes, that there's a promise that's released with every one of them. All the letters have an immediate, a future, and a typological application, and we should be thinking of them that way. Just quick review of Ephesus. I'm doing pretty good right now. I just covered four pages of notes. You guys should be proud of me. Yeah, because otherwise you'd be like here at 1230 going, is he done yet? No, okay. Um, Ephesus had a description of Christ, the seven stars, the seven golden, golden lampstands. We know that those stars are relative to, there's two interpretations. I personally take the ter- interpretation that the stars were the angels of the churches. Some people will take the stars to be the pastors of those churches. Both could be argued from scripture. I personally think it's more spiritual. Um, so Jesus demonstrating his authority over angelicos. And there's also a nice thought that Jesus holds me as a pastor in the palm of his hand. I think both are pretty cool. Um, the other thing is a commendation. Oh, the seven golden lampstands, those are literally the churches. So you should think like this. Summit as a church has a lampstand. That lampstand represents Jesus' presence in our church. Now, I could ask this, and everybody would have a little bit different angle on this. What is the presence of Jesus that you've experienced in this house? You'd say, oh, I've experienced healing. Well, Jesus is a healer. I've experienced community and unity. Well, God is a family. Like, you would get different things from every person that, that points back to who Jesus is in our midst. Every church, say every church, church. has that. Every church. If they don't, that's where the issues come up. And you're going to see those issues being called out by Jesus to these seven churches, or I should say more accurately, literal churches, and also types of churches and applications to us today. So when we were going through this, though, we also talked about how strong they were with deeds and toil and persevere. This was a commendation. You have sound doctrine and you don't get weary. That was the commendation. So listen, listen. I'm going to say something that's probably telling on me a little bit, but maybe some of the others in the room. I like the Bible a lot. Somebody say amen. The Bible's a good book. But I can be a little edgy. They're like, oh, no, not you, Pastor. We love you. You're the greatest guy. No, no, no. I can be sometimes deliberate. I can be sometimes determined. I can be sometimes unloving in the name of, but this is what it says. And what, what Jesus says is like, hey, you do a really good job with doctrine, but you, you're not very loving. In fact, you left Jesus as the priority. And I'm going to suggest this to you. If you leave Jesus as the priority, him being the first love, you will struggle to love those around you very well. Because the way that it works, it's kind of like an overflow. He pours into you, you overflow into other people. If you don't have enough coming in, you kind of get a little bit mm, edgy, stuffy. So, so the commendation was, hey, listen, you guys do really great with doctrine, but you left your first love. And I want you to notice they left, they didn't lose it. it wasn't something Jesus took away. It was something that they what? They left. They walked away. So one of the other questions that came up this week, what about the security of believers? The million-dollar question, can you lose your salvation? Watch, if I took a show of hands, I'd have some people go, no way, no how, and I'd have other people go, sure you can. I can tell you from these texts, it says that, that listen, you got cold, you left, you moved away. So I, I, I got to tell you guys straight up, I'm an eternal security guy. Like, I love knowing that I belong to Jesus. I love the John chapter 10 passage. No one can by any means snatch me out of the pot. I love those passages. But you got to wrestle around with Hebrews 6 if you're going to do that. you got to wrestle around with it. Leaving the elementary teachings of Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of false works out of lack of repentance towards God. So listen, when you study the scriptures, I can argue both of these positions very strongly. I could convince you that there's no way ever. I could also convince you that you could leave. And I could do, the, do it with the Bible. Not my opinion. I could do it scripturally. Now, what did I say to you guys last week? What's the way that is the safest way for you to stay in communion with God? It was just one word. It's one word. Anybody remember it? Abide. abide. If you abide in Christ, which means literally to remain or to stay. In other words, you stay in relationship. You stay in communion. 
You stay in the Word of God. You stay in service. You stay in worship. Listen, watch, watch. I'm telling some of you on some of you online. You stay in church. You're like, I'm at church. I'm online at church. Not the, exactly the same. Listen, I love technology. Somebody says, Pastor loves technology. Come on, I love it. I love it. It's not the same. I will never give up the ghost on this. I know some people go, man, sometimes you pick on us online. Like, I love you guys online. I'm not telling you don't watch. I'm not telling you. But there is a different presence, different prayer. Your gift gets used. You receive our gifts. It's different. And there is no substitute for that. The, the body of Christ, I think technology is wonderful, particularly for people who can't get here. For people who are not well, they, can't, they physically can't leave. I think it's great that we can do this. But if you can be here, you should what? You should be here. You should be here. Okay, so I picked on whoever. I wasn't trying to be mean. So, so back to the can you lose. Okay, so Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, presents you before God, clean. And with the mouth a person confesses, resulting in salvation, the rescuing from darkness, putting you into light. Confession, literally, it means this. Say what God says. Homologio, say the same words. That's literally what confession says. It says that Jesus is Lord. Watch, not just Savior. So if Jesus is your Lord, what does that mean for you? Obedience. Obedience. It means, what do you say? What do you think? What's your heart? How do I move with you? And not, how, do I, how do I take my opinions, make them low, put, take your opinions, make them high, and then watch, and then adjust my lifestyle based on what you think, God? That's making him Lord. So listen, listen. Abide, abide, and abide some more. That's how you know for sure. So I'm not of the opinion, not of the opinion that you can lose your salvation. But I am of the opinion that it's not as like a 30-second prayer at the altar and you're in. I think it's a little more than that. Now, it's not works. That's not what I'm saying. It's fruit. You, Bible, you guys know the Bible tells you that you're a fruit inspector? You are. You're a fruit inspector. It means you should look at someone's life and you should see the, the imprint of God on their life. Transformation, change leaving sinful lifestyles into righteousness. You should be able to see those things. Though, by the way, salvation is based on faith in Jesus, but the product of faith changes you. So when I don't see transformation in people, I wonder if it was a real commitment. Now, ultimately, I said this to somebody earlier, ultimately, who's the judge? God, not me. I ain't that smart. Just telling you what the Bible says, you got to wrestle that out. Don't go judging people too far. Okay, so let's keep going, though. Back to Ephesus, just by review, the command, remember, repent, do. In other words, you are doing well. Remember what you used to do. Stop doing what you're not doing. Like, turn the other way, repent, and then go back and actually do it. It's not a good thing for you to recognize the miss without doing the right thing. Like, a lot of times we'll do this. Man, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that it's okay. It just means you recognize there's an issue. Now, what do you need to do to change the anger? What do you need to do to change the bitterness? What do you need to do to be more loving, caring? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you're inviting Jesus in the mix. And then the promise was this, that you would eat from the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. And I said last week it was remarkable that that tree of life, it was in the book of Revelation and then hidden from everybody. And then God says this, listen, once you get here, you get this forever. It gives you eternal life, like timeless life. That's how you should think about it. Eternity is not a measure of time. It's timelessness. It's really awesome. Okay, so that now brings us to Smyrna. So by quick way of introduction with Smyrna, somebody's like, Pastor, breathe. You're going really fast. <sighs> Smyrna. As I said, chapters two and three are for us as a church. Uh, of this book, once we hit chapter 4, it is all future. It's all future. But right now what we're talking about is directly applicable to our lives. Um, Smyrna was the second city church that, that John addresses. Um, Smyrna was a, also a city port, so it was a wealthy city. It was fairly populous. It wasn't small. Um, and Smyrna, and, it, and it's in the name, Smyrna was known for producing myrrh. Now, how many of you guys ever heard myrrh? Like, Think Christmas, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming agent. It's a perfume. It's also used in anointing oil. 
So Smyrna was known for producing myrrh, and people would, would get the myrrh, and they would use it in various applications. Like, um, I'm getting ahead in my notes a little bit, but you'll remember that even Nicodemus brought myrrh for Jesus, and I'll touch that in just a second again. Um, Smyrna was also known as this for being a persecuted church. Now, why is that important? Even it's in the name. The idea that they produce myrrh, the only way myrrh smells good is if you crush it. Some are like, I don't want to get crushed for Jesus, Pastor. That doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. But that's actually what the type is. This church was a persecuted church, and as a producer of myrrh, the only way, listen, think typologically, the only way they became fragrant for Jesus was through persecution. Now that's, listen, can I say something to you that is not necessarily a popular idea? Um, but I would suggest to you that the church in America is going to hit some persecution in the near future. I, you've already seen enough challenge in our just our rights as a church, but I think it will extend a little bit further. I actually watched a video yesterday that was quite remarkable with people like, just, I don't care about your morals. I don't care about God. I don't care about it. And, and I'm thinking, you guys are nuts. You live in America. You know that this country is beautiful because it was founded on Judeo-Christian values. The, our, our whole political system, well, I shouldn't say political system, our judicial system was based on the Ten Commandments. Like, we, we've lost our way because we forgot our history. And those who forget history are destined to repeat it. You should know that. So I do think that there's a possibility that the church in America will experience some difficulty um, in the future. I did. Now, listen, that shouldn't be fearful to us. That should be like, we're going to read the letter. You're going to see what Jesus says. Okay, so it's a seaport. It's prosperous. They had a temple of Caesar. Now, this is pretty interesting because Caesar in Roman culture was believed to be a god. Now, you guys know that if you're a Christian, you're not going to worship other gods, right? Well, what the Romans would do is they would require every single citizen to bring a little piece of, like, incense and drop it on the altar as an honor to Caesar. Like, he's God. This is my sacrifice. So needless to say, for the Christians, do you think this was a problem? Because you're asking them to say, I am going to honor Caesar as God when they worship Jesus as God. So this was happening, and they would actually get a certificate annually that would say they did their annual sacrifice, and they don't have to worry about persecution. So needless to say, for some Christians, they, listen, this is akin to the mark of the beast. You know, like, if you get it, you're doomed. People are like, how do I know what to do? Don't worry, we'll get there. It's in a few chapters, but we'll get there. The important thing is this. Don't compromise your priority or making Jesus preeminent in your life. Don't do it for family. Don't do it for friends. Don't do it for politics. It always gets messy when it's not a Jesus first kind of thing. Does that make sense? So Caesar, again, was, was worshipped. They'd burn incense. This was the Romans' way of dominating and forcing them to bow. And obviously, it was a great conflict for Christians. And listen, many Christians were killed in this, re, this, this window of time. Um, not the least of which. Some of you have heard the name Polycarp. Polycarp was John's assistant. So John wrote the book of Revelation. I'll get into this further as we get into other churches. But Polycarp was actually martyred later um, by, by the, in this season in Smyrna. He was, he was tortured and killed. But he was the one that some people will argue that Polycarp wrote the book of Revelation. I, I would say this, that there's a likelihood that Polycarp penned it for John. But John was the originator of the content, just for whatever it's worth, informational. Um, not, not anything more than that. So again, myrrh was used for anointing. It was used for perfume. It was used in embalming and at death. And it was only fragrant when it was crushed. So how many of you guys remember when Jesus was born? What did the wise men bring to him? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Okay, we know that myrrh is typologically death. We know that. Um, so you see that that's broad. Um, remember when Jesus died. You guys remember Nicodemus shows up with 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh to embalm Jesus' body, and lo and behold, Jesus wasn't there, right? He, poof, he was gone. Kind of cool. Um, so this is great. This is a, a messianic prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 60. And I, and I just wanted to share this with you because I thought it was cool. It says, A multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all of Sheba will come, and they'll bring gold and frankincense, and they will bear the good news and the praises of God. Good news, gospel. So notice, no myrrh. It's a messianic prophecy. Why no myrrh? No death. Jesus conquered what? 
death. So, so listen, there's types in here that I just think are cool. Okay, so when we get into this, I told you that I'm going to cover these five elements. Now, when we talk about Smyrna, you're going to see one of the elements is missing. Jesus doesn't rebuke them at all. Only Philadelphia and Smyrna are the churches that had no rebuke. And there's a couple churches that had no commendation either. But Revelation now, chapter 2, verse 8. And we'll start walking through these, these verses and, and explain it to you just a little bit. So verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this. So again, these are all titles of Jesus referencing back to chapter 1 that we studied last week. So the first and the last. Now, now some of you will start to notice as we study this that there's going to be numerical stuff that pops up. Like the most common number that people remember, there's two of them. The number 666, which is the mark of the beast, and the 144,000. Those are two numbers that people remember most. But all throughout this book, there's typological language that's numerical. So seven is the number of completion, right? We know that seven days in a week, etc. So first and the last, how many times do you think first and the last is said in the Bible? Seven. Because <laughs> it's God's completeness. So it's just cool, significant, because seven is the number of completion. He says, who was dead? This is speaking directly of Christ's substitutionary death. Now, you should think this way about this. Because if Jesus doesn't die, we don't have forgiveness. Now, some of you have studied your Bible, so you know this. In the Old Testament... The way that you were forgiven was something called sacrifice. So every year you would bring a sacrifice once a year to cover your sins, and you'd make a sacrifice in the temple. Now, in the Old Testament, the word that we would use would be expiation. That's a technical word. You don't need to remember it. But that means to cover, only to have to cover it again. But in the New Testament, Jesus said that he became a propitiation. That word you might want to remember, which literally means this, to remove God's wrath as a gift. So when Jesus came, he sacrificed himself substitutionally in place of us. So he removed the wrath of God that would be placed on our sin, and he forgave us and gave us grace. So when you think Jesus hung on the cross, yeah, brutally killed, tortured, beaten, speared, crown of thorns, whipped, that should happen to you and me. Now, we don't normally think that way. Like, we think I'm bad, but I'm not quite that bad. The reality is this. How do you present any of our persons before the righteousness of a holy God and not just get consumed? There's one word, one name answer to that, and what is it? Jesus. His substitutionary death. It's important for us to understand this stuff. It says that he's come to life. So not only did he die, he's the only grave in all of the world that conquered death, and the grave is still what? Empty. The only one. So he's saying, these are my titles. So when you're saying, who was Jesus? He's the first and the last, which, by the way, is a title of God. He's saying, I'm God. I was dead. I conquered it, substitutionary death, and I've come to life. And then he gets on to the commendation. And this is what he says in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, I know your tribulation. By the way, that tribulation is small t. In other words, there's pressure, there's persecution. But we're not talking about the seven-year window of tribulation. He says, I know your tribulation. And your poverty, he says, but you're rich. He says, and the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. He says, your poverty, this is literally one that has nothing or you're reduced to beggary. So the persecution in the church in Smyrna was so severe that people didn't even have a way to take care of themselves. So the persecution was severe. So next time, excuse me, you think of yourself as, man, I'm being persecuted. Are you all able to take care of yourself? So you've really been persecuted, or is it just a little uncomfortable? Is your life in danger? Let me put it that way. Anybody's life in danger for being a Christian? No. So I'm going to suggest to you that you're probably not as persecuted as you might think you are. You might not like your work environment. Maybe some people at work are very ungodly. Maybe some people in your, your household, your family, very ungodly. And maybe they don't like that you're a Christian because you used to be fun, but you ain't no fun no more because you don't party it up no more like we used to. You get all of that kind of, that, that's not persecution. It's really not persecution. That's just uncomfortable, a little bit of a bummer. You wish that they'd see the light, whatever it might be. But that's not persecution. What we're talking about is not even being able to take care of yourself. They said, man, we're poor. And Jesus says, but listen, you're actually rich. Why are they rich? Because they had God. There was a spiritual deposit that was given to them. He said, listen, 
I know it looks bad, but it's not as bad as you think. And then he says this, this blasphemy, slander, detraction, destructive speech. And this is always pointed toward God. Blasphemy is always directed at God. So I want to cover a couple things about blasphemy with you really quickly. And I'm going to touch some scriptures. If you want to take notes, I'm going to do this fast. So first, blasphemy is always against God, his name, his tabernacle, heaven. So in other words, it will always put into question who God is. But wait, let me pause. i I gotta, I got to build this a little more strongly. Jesus is talking to a church. Say a church. Come on, you or me. Say a church. Talking to a church. And he says, this church is a synagogue of Satan. Have you ever thought about this? Like he's saying literally, Satan is alive and well in your church. That's what he just said. Your church is a synagogue of Satan because of blasphemy. Now let's talk about blasphemy. So none of us in the room are going to think this. We're blasphemous. In fact, all of these churches, when Jesus tells them what they're doing well and what they're doing poorly, they're all surprised. I don't think like, they're, they're like, oh, we're strong on doctrine. We got this down. No, that, that commendation is probably like, oh, we're actually doing okay. Oh, but you left your first love. Oh, I thought we were doing better. By the way, you ever had Jesus confront you with something that you're not doing very well? Anybody? Did it shock you? Usually, yes. You know, if we're honest, like, if you're off sinning crazy, it shouldn't really shock you. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about the subtle things. I'm talking about the attitudes of heart. I'm talking about the things that are kind of those undercurrents. It's not overtly sin. It's not, rec it's not easy to see. It's not like you're ripping off your boss. Those are easy to see. Those are like gross sins. I'm talking about attitudinal stuff. Those ones are hard. And when, usually when Jesus comes, he says, I need you to pay attention to this. Those are the ones who are like... We start to justify ourselves. Yeah, but do you know what they did? i got to defend myself, Jesus. Don't you know? And he's like, really? Those are the ones that we're talking about. You want to be careful with those. So blasphemy. Okay, against God, his name, the tabernacle heaven. Revelation 13, 6. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies, is speaking of the enemy, uh, against God. Watch, he blasphemes his name. When you blaspheme the name of God, incidentally, your question is character. Remember when Moses said, God, who should I say sent me? I am sent you. I'm the present one. I'm the all-becoming one. That's what he said. What they're doing is a question, is, he, is Jesus really God? You sure? Is he really God? I mean, he was a man. God can't be a man, right? Anybody ever, you guys ever talk to anybody, have these questions? No? Yes? Yeah, not in the church. I mean, we're talking about, I'm talking about outside of the church. I hope none of you guys wanted that stuff in the church. Otherwise, I've not been doing a very good job teaching you. But, but the reality is this, that when you question his name, you're questioning his person, his character. When you're questioning his tabernacle, you're questioning his presence. Because that's the place where God would show up to engage with people. And when, when you question um, those who dwell in heaven, that's the attack against the saints. So that's just Revelation 13. Another one is his word. They'll question his word. Titus 2.5, he says, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. By the way, he's speaking to women right now. Um, so that the word of God will not be dishonored or, listen, blasphemed. That's what that word dishonor is. See, when we mishandle our lifestyles, people come against God, don't they? Saying, don't let that happen. How about this? Against Moses or the patriarchs and God, Acts 6.11. <laughs> It says this, then, then they'll secretly induce men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Did you know, did you know that Jesus was actually killed because they accused him of blasphemy? Like, oh, but that's not, lots of ideas out there about why Jesus was killed. But the reason he was killed was blasphemy. They, they wanted to kill him because he declared that he was one who forgives sins in Mark chapter 2, 7. Only God forgives sins, they said about him. Uh, what about when he claims to be Messiah? Mark 14, 62. He said, and you will see me seated at the right hand of God in power. And they wanted to kill him for saying that. What about in John chapter 10, verse 33? He makes himself equal with God. Being a man, you make yourself to be God. Was Jesus God? Those are all of the questions that come in when you're talking about this. Again, verse 9 says, you're a synagogue of Satan. So how do you know if a church is mishandling or potentially even creating an environment where there's a synagogue of Satan? Watch, simple. They question the person of Jesus. I've had lots of people ask me, what do you think about Mormons? What do you think about Jehovah Witnesses? What do you think about... 
Listen, anybody who detracts from the person of Jesus is somebody that would be regarded as a cult. He didn't come in the flesh. I'm going to touch these in just a second. He didn't forgive people's sins. He was a man. He couldn't be, be God. He was a created being like the Jehovah Witnesses. There's lots of thoughts. Spirit brother of Lucifer, like the Mormons say. They make Jesus something other than Jesus declared himself to be. And as soon as you get into that, you have now set up a synagogue of Satan. You're like, that's strong language. Would you agree? Like, think like this. Like, like I'm preaching and Satan is right on my side. Oh, God forbid, right? But that's the picture that Jesus is giving to the church at Smyrna. Like, this is dangerous stuff is what he's saying. How many of you guys remember the story in John 8.33? Incredible story. Jesus, the Son of God, says, I'm going to make you free. This is the Abraham discussion with the, the Pharisees. He, and he says, listen, I've come to make you free. And they say to him, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Just telling you the story. I'll read a verse at the end. I'm just telling you the story. Help me. Were the Jews ever enslaved? Uh, Egypt, um, Babylon, Persia, Medo-Persia. Like, hello? The Greeks, the Romans, they were under pressure their entire existence. Were they enslaved? Yeah, they're, they're inaccurate in their, their rendering or their understanding. And, and they say, listen, Abraham is our father. What they're saying to Jesus, it, not to use crass language, and actually I won't use it, you're illegitimate. That's what they're saying to him. Abraham's our father, who's yours? Your, your mama had a baby by the Holy Spirit, right? That, that's what's going on right here. Like, there's nuances in between this story. They're calling him illegitimate. And, he's, and Jesus, I am from the Father is what Jesus says. And they start to, like, how can that be? And then Jesus says this to him. This is wild. You're of the devil. Watch John 8, 44. He says this. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Hello? I mean, I don't know. Jesus showed up and said, I'd be, my feelings would be hurt. I'm just saying. And, and you, want your, you want to do the desires of your father. They're trying to kill Jesus. He's saying, you're like him, the devil. You get it? Well, watch. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. That's why when it says of God, God is not like a man, he cannot lie. That's why one of the attributes of God not being able to lie is so powerful because it means he's not of the nature of the devil. The devil can only tell lies, and it goes on. It says, for he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. And when Jesus says that, the Pharisees go, you have a demon. Man, I don't know. This is this like, they're just in his business, right? They're in his face the whole time. And they, they say, we... They say they are of their father Abraham, and Jesus says this to him in verse 58. He says, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Again, I'm talking about when you question the person of Jesus. Jesus' response to the very Pharisees was, you're of the devil. So anytime you get in a situation where you start to question Jesus, you're actually operating in this idea of the spirit of Antichrist. Right after he says, I am, they try to stone him. So some of the, fair, the heresies that were hitting the church in this window, let me breathe, how's everybody doing? I'm feeding you like you're drinking from a fire, Jose. Now you're like, whoa, this feels like a class, Pastor. Lots of information. I told you, take notes. Bring your pens, take notes. Because I want to encourage you guys to go home and study more. I actually had somebody ask me, can, can I have your notes? Which actually, you need to send me your email, and I'll send them to you. I have no problem doing that. Um, it gives you, a, like, my whole thought process, which, God forbid, you, you get to see that. But it's a little scary, I'm just saying. But, but it allow you to do some of the research if you wanted to do that. But some of the heresies hitting the church, and tell me if these aren't hitting the church today, legalism. Believe in Jesus, but you've got to do all this other stuff. What it does, legalism denies the completed work of God by adding the law to, some law to, that work. Gnosticism, this denies Christ's humanity. There's lots of, I mean, the Gnostics have all sorts of different sects. These are kind of the know-it-all. These, these would be our, our modern-day New Agers. People who kind of like, oh, I can rub a crystal and there's power in it and I can find Jesus. And there's lots of ways. How, do I, how come I have to approach God through Jesus? Because there's only one mediator between man and God, the man. That's so stuffy. It's so narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to life. 
you know, I don't think it's accidental that Jesus was aware of all of our, our like, combatant statements of his deity. It's not new to him. Gnosticism, they, they used to think this way. They would think that it doesn't matter how I live or what I do because my body is just something that's going to wear away. My, my spirit lives forever. So they, they had this, this doctrine. This is wild. I remember reading this when I was in Bible college. It's called somasema. The body is a tomb is literally what it means. So my body is going to die, but my spirit that lives in So I can live, listen, however I want. So I can go have sex with a thousand people. I can do drugs, drink, do whatever I want. Because when this body dies, I get to go spiritually to heaven. That's one of the Gnostic thoughts. That's not at all congruent with, with the Bible or scripture. Um, they also had in this region Caesar, Caesar worship, denying the lordship of Christ. We don't have Caesar worship. We have Trump worship. I'm telling you the truth right now. There is a whole Christian national movement that's within America. By, by the way, I voted for Trump. I have no problem saying that publicly. And, but I pray for Biden all the time. Listen, I have no issue with the person sitting in the office. I vote because it's my civic right, not because I think some president is going to save me. I only have one savior. Somebody say amen. I only have one savior. And do, do I like the policies of one versus? Sure I did. But does that mean that I stop loving my country? Or No. We get into the dangerous places when we start to promote people. So we don't have Caesar worship. We just worship politicians and different people like that. We think they're going to rescue us. I would check you. Don't do that. Vote your conscience. Vote biblical values, sure. But at the end of the day, only Jesus is going to save you. I, I just made some enemies right now. I heard some people's feelings. People are turning me off online. Can't believe he said he doesn't love Trump. I just said I voted for him. Good Lord. What else? I don't know what to say. So what about the Judaizers? Now, these are poor people who forced Jewish practices on the new believers. You'll see this in Acts 15. There's quite a, a discussion about circumcision and meat offered to idols and so forth. But basically, they came back and said, don't force them to do any of the law. Just force them to live a lifestyle of repentance. Tell them this is the standard. So the Judaizers were always trying to control people. Um, through Jewish practice. There was also docetism, and those of you who like to take notes, you're welcome to do that. They believe this, that Jesus wasn't physically here. He was an apparition, like a ghost. So he could show up here, show up there, go do that, but he, wasn't, he didn't physically come. Now here's the problem with all these. For those of you note-takers, get ready, I'm going to go fast. All cults or false religions deny some attribute of who Jesus is as Lord. All of them do. So watch. God cannot be a man. This denies the incarnation. It denies the sacrificial lamb that was slain. It de de denies Emmanuel, God with us. It denies Jesus being the last Adam, reversing the curse of sin. It denies the propitiation, Jesus removing the wrath of God in his flesh. This is just a few. I could have made a list much longer than that. But these are primary tenets of faith that we cannot skirt over and, and like rub arms with people who disagree with this stuff. Listen, I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying cut your friends off or your family off. I know some of you have family members who are in other religious movements that are not Christian, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, and others. I'm not saying don't be a light to them. What I am saying is don't embrace the thought that what they believe is the same as what you believe. You know, Jesus being the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't God. That's, that's Islam believes that. Jesus was a created being, not the second member of the Trinity, Jehovah Witnesses. They all have an aberration of who God is. All of them do. That's why it's so important for you to study your what? Got to know what you believe. Because you're going to sit and face people and you not even have an answer for them. Anytime Jesus' person and work is put into question... It is of the spirit of Antichrist. Antichristo, against Christ. 1 John 2, 22 says this. He's speaking of the devil. He says he's a liar, but the one, who is a liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you... Let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So I'm going to bring you back to when I said a thing about salvation. You should be doing what? Abiding. That's why it settles the score. Now, how about the rebuke for Smyrna? Woohoo! Passing report card. No rebuke. 
Somebody say, man, what if you were standing in front of Jesus right now and he said, you're really doing a great job. Okay, well, what am I missing, Jesus? How many of you guys do this with Jesus? I do this with Jesus. Where do I need to get better? Like, I need to work myself up to something that, like, there's times where Jesus feels like, eh, you got to deal with that, James. Most of the time, I'm more critical of myself than God is. Am I talking to some of you right now? There's no rebuke. So they didn't go trying to find something that was wrong. They just accepted it as, there's no what? Rebuke. So Jesus moves on and he gives them a command. This is verse 10 of Revelation 2. He says, do not fear. I'm going to stop before you even read the rest of this. Do not fear. Phobos in the Greek. We get our word what? Phobia from it. He says, don't fear. Now I'm going to speak really, like maybe I'll soften my tone. For those of you who are worried about studying the book of Revelation, you shouldn't be fearful. No, I'm teasing a little bit. The book is a promise book. It's a book of encouragement. It's a book of blessing. We shouldn't be afraid to study the, the roadmap. Like, I love something Santosh said. We were, we were at staff meeting on Tuesday morning. He said, you know what's cool about the book of Revelation? He goes, it's kind of like a movie trailer. You get a piece of everything without the whole movie. I go, wow, that's actually, that's actually really good. Because you get these pictures and these types, and you're like, what the heck does that mean? And some of it, truthfully, we're not going to know until we get to heaven. Other pieces of it we can piece together from Scripture. And some of it we can go, this is my best guess. But the reality is like a, it's like a series of movie trailers. All these pictures of heaven and bowls and wraths and angels and, and false prophets and antichrist. You're like, what in the world? It's because there's so much going on spiritually behind the scenes of what we're talking about. It's like movie trailers. Don't fear. Let's finish verse 10. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Man, I'm, I'm just saying, man, if I came to any one of you and say, hey, it's going to get really rough, you'd be like, oh, thanks for the word of encouragement, pastor. None of us wants to hear this. Okay, so verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't fear. Don't have phobias. Testing. Anytime you're tested by God, it's to prove what he's already put in you. That's so important. Because a lot of times we think testing is for failure. No, with God, testing is for success. He said, listen, you're going to get tested to demonstrate that I'm actually with you now. This 10 days of tribulation, this is actually a pretty precarious thing. Lots of people have different thoughts about this. The 10 days, many scholars believe it references the 10 worst Roman um, leaders in that window of time, the, the first two or 300 years of the church. That is a likely answer, but nobody knows for sure what the 10 days reference. But just for the sake of sharing it with you, um, Nero is the first of them. He was known for lighting people, tarring and lighting them on fire, crucified Christians, ex executed Paul, he executed Peter, burned down Rome, blamed it on the Christians. That's potentially one of them. Domitian, he beheaded, boiled John in oil, then he exiled John. Trajan, he outlawed Christianity altogether, and he burned Ignatius, one of the church fathers, at the stake. These are pretty bad guys. This, this is all early church. We're like, we're at 117 is when he, he died. Um, Marcus Aurelius, this is like the, the gladiator movie. This would be that window of time. He tortured and beheaded Christians. He also killed Justin Martyr, one of the church fathers. Um, Semptus Servus, all these names are weird, so just bear with me. This is 200 to 211. He burned, beheaded, and then he killed Irenaeus, who was also one of the church fathers. Um, Maximinus, he tried to wipe out Christianity altogether. Just, no, just going to kill them all. Um, Decius, these names. He killed Alexander. Valerian, he wiped out Christianity, executed the Bishop of Carthage. Aurelian, he persecuted the church any way he could. And Diocletian, he burned the scriptures. The books that they, the writings, he took them and he burned them. Then he burned the churches. He outlawed Christianity, and he was the one who forced sacrifice to Roman gods. Every citizen had to do it. So those could be the 10 days of trial. We don't know for sure. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But can I, can I like safely say to y'all, Smyrna is known as the persecuted church. We are not persecuted. Okay? Watch. Just 
as a question, anybody in the room know of anyone who died because they believe in Jesus? That is current today. I'm not talking about Jesus or Paul or Peter. I'm talking about, do you know somebody who gave up their life for faith? No. So next time somebody like writes something negative on your Facebook post, don't come to me and tell me how persecuted you are. Just saying. It's offensive. Hurt your feelings a little bit. That isn't persecution. The stuff that I'm talking about here, burning scriptures, burning churches, burning people, that, that is really crazy. So we want to look at the command from Jesus. He says this. He said, you should be faithful unto death. Wow. I want you to consider a number of things. What if you lost everything right now? How would Jesus fit in your, your world? Would he still be Lord, Savior, God, endeared love? Yeah. All of us say yes until you're faced with trouble. I'm just saying. I, I, and I hope, my hope is, that you would be able to take the admonition, be faithful. I hope that that would be true of all of us. But I would suggest to you that it might be harder than we think. I would just suggest that to you. I hope that we never have to go through it. That would be my hope. Can't promise you that. We don't know what's in the cards for America, for the world. Like, if you guys aren't aware, the world is at war. Next week, I'm going to jump in by starting in Matthew 24. So you're going to get the wars and rumors of wars, pestilence. That's not the end. It's just the beginning of the end. I'm going to start there next week. So you guys get a little bit of a picture of what Jesus said that we should be aware of. But man, if you're not paying attention, Israel is at war. Russia, they're Ukraine. You got China flexing this. Everybody's flexing their muscles right now. There are other people saying, man, Iran's getting in the conflict now. And Jordan's talking. Like, like listen, listen. You, that shouldn't freak you out. Shouldn't freak you out. Now, now listen, if you're a pre-trib rapture person, it shouldn't freak you out at all. Because listen, if you're a pre-trib rapture person, this is pretty much what you think. It's all going to start, and I get to go to heaven and watch. Which... I hope that that is true the case. When we get to that point, I'm going to share with you the different positions, and I'll leave it to you to decide. I hope it's pre. I do, man. And I think I can, I can teach you the scriptures that makes me think that it's that, but I can also teach you the scriptures that make me think, maybe we're around. Maybe we're around. So I don't want to freak you out, because I know this, that God said that he'd preserve us either way. He did say that. But this church, man, they're facing like... Would you still serve Jesus if Jesus said, give your life up for me? We all want to say yes, but if you were face-to-face -face with a gun to your head, it might be harder than you think. I'm just saying. So how about the promise? We want to finish with the promise, right? Verse 11, he says, he who has an ear. By the way, how many of you guys have ears? Yeah. He's not only speaking of your natural ears, he's speaking of what? Your, your spiritual ears. Saying, don't only listen, understand, comprehend. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I already mentioned you, churches means that particular church, but it means us as well. And he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So listen, listen. As ugly as it could possibly get, you're not going to be touched by an eternal death. I've heard this phrase coined like almost every commentary I read right now, anybody that I listen that teaches on the book of Revelation, this is basically what all of them say. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. So if you're only born naturally, you're going to die naturally. You're also going to die spiritually. But if you're born twice, you're only going to die once. See, we should all put that in our pocket and say, man, as ugly as this could potentially get, when my life is over, I'm in the paradise of God. That's where I am. I'm not going to be facing this lake of fire business. I'm not going to be facing Hades and torment. I'm not going to be facing any of that. I'm going to be sitting next to Jesus saying, you want a cup of coffee? Because <laughs> I got some questions that I'm really curious about. Because I, like, I read the scriptures and, and were there dinosaurs? Because like, I'm of the opinion there were. But I just... I'm, I'm so fascinated with the idea of discovering in fullness who God really is. I've been studying the book for, man, 30-some years now. 
And there's so much about him that's a mystery still. So fascinating. And as much as I've, I feel like I'm rooted in the character of God, I know God loves me. I know he loves you. I know he's a forgiver, a restorer, a redeemer, that he's a lover of our, I know those things. But there are so many things I'm like, why did you do it that way? That's so like, I don't get it. Like, I want to know. And I also know this, that I won't get to know that until I'm face to face with them. Like Paul said it this way, yet though I see through a glass dimly, I will see him face to face. I look forward to that day. So when we're studying these things, then none of us should get freaked out. Is it weird? Sure. Is it potentially a little bit hard? Yes. But he said, stay faithful unto death. If you overcome, you don't die twice. You only die once. He said, hear, comprehend, understand, be an, an overcomer, a Nikeo, one who is victorious. So listen, as I wrap up today, and, and I'm just going to close because of time, and I know some of you are thinking lunch, and others of you know we have a Living Waters class right after this, so we'll be sticking around and do some little bit of teaching and some prayer together. Um, this is really a good time for you to just reconnect your heart with God. There's no better time to just say, hey, God, wh where is my heart at? How am I doing? Listen, if you're a believer and you've been around Jesus for a lot of years, it, you know this, that life ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's easy to say, whoo, I'm a believer and Jesus is on the throne. Other times you're like, I'm going to get in with my backside smoldering, man. I'm barely going to make it. But I've known this, that over the years, God has over and over sustained me. How many of you guys would say that? He just keeps sustaining me. But you know what I've learned about his sustaining presence? is it takes humility to get it. It takes a bowing of your heart. It takes a being transparent and honest with God, which is kind of funny because God sees everything. Hello? It's not like he doesn't know where your heart's at. Sometimes he wants you to see where your heart's at to make sure that you're like in tune with him. See, he's relational. He wants relationship with you. He wants that abiding connection with you. The, the God, I want to seek you and know the wisdom and direction and what I should do next. So listen, for some of you in the room, you might be like, I just need to reconnect. I just need to say, it's a starting line for me today. Maybe life's been rough. Maybe you're, you're like the church at Ephesus. You've kind of left your first love. It's not like you don't believe in Jesus, but walking with him is a whole different story. Making him Lord's a whole different story. Maybe you're struggling a little. And before we go, I'm just going to pray that. And when I, when I pray for these things, if it's you, just agree with it. It doesn't have to be a public like, oh, I'm the one failing. Nah. It's you and God. Hey, God, I need to reconnect with you. I want my heart to be in tune with your heart. Now, there might be others of you in the room or maybe online that you've just never surrendered your life to Jesus. You know, and, and truthfully, studying the book of Revelation is like, it can be scary if you don't trust God. Because the second death will touch you if you don't trust God. There is but one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And if you believe in him, he takes you to paradise, forgives your sins. And if you don't, you, he holds you to the choice you made to reject him. So I want to ask you guys, just bow your heads. I'm just going to lead you in a closing prayer. And whatever the Lord puts on your heart is what you pray. And if you're brand new to it, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can become a child of God, a believer. So Father, we want to say first off, we're super grateful for the scriptures. Man, they're just able to make us wise. They're able to present godliness in a way that we can grab it. And Father, I know in a room like this, people watching online, I know that there's people who are not dialed in with you. I know there's people who are struggling. Life has hit them. Sin has hit them. Difficulty. And they would say, man, I'm having a hard time seeing that you're crazy about me. And just my sense is this, man, say, Jesus, I need you. Man, I tried it my way, and my way doesn't work very well. And I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and I'm uncertain, and my relationships are difficult, and life is hard, and, and I'm doing it my way, and God, I just want to tell you, my way doesn't work. Man, if you're saying that, that's called repentance. That's just saying, God, I need your way, not mine. So, Father, I ask that you would come in and cleanse. You would come in and restore, that you would come in and forgive. God, that you would uh, like lay a, a, a presence of your spirit on 
and all of us, but anybody particularly who is in that spot, that they would know I've got the peace of God. That means I'm with him. I belong to him. And tell him, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for taking it on my own. I'm sorry for doing it my way. Sorry for living in fear, living in anxiety, living in uncertainty, walking away from you, whatever your story is. Tell him. Just say, I'm sorry, and I want to come back. Would you restore me? Would you fill me? Would you become not only my Savior, but my Lord today? And show me how to walk with you and how to follow you. God, I ask for anybody who doesn't know you this morning. If they're here, if they're online, maybe they're going to catch it during the week sometime. God, I pray that you would just remind them that the gospel of God was that Jesus came to forgive sinners of, of who I am, the chief. I'm the chief. So God, we want your forgiveness. We want you to be Lord over our lives. We want your spirit to take up residence in us. We want to be the temple of the living God is what the scriptures say. So God, as we place our trust in you, help us to walk with you. We need your wisdom, your direction, your discernment, your grace. And God, we just bow our hearts low. We say, God, you're good. You are good and your mercies endure forever. So pull us back in, keep us close to your heart and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're here this morning, you would say, man, that's me. I want someone to pray with me. The, the ministry team is going to make themselves available. They'll sneak up front. So if you want someone to pray with you, we'd be happy to pray with you. Um, otherwise, I want to say, be blessed and filled, man. It is a beautiful season to be alive. Like we should never look at the pressure in the world and think that anything other that we were called to be light and salt and light to the world. We're called to shine, not called to live in fear, live underneath it. We're called to walk in victory. So I want to encourage you, go in victory today. To him who overcomes. Man, life faces you bad, walk out, say, I'm an overcomer. Come on, church, tell me. I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. God declared it. I'm an overcomer. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.